Last week we finished 1 Thessalonians. If we bring to remembrance, because we're going to 2 today and finish this one text of both books, Paul began speaking to them in 1 Thessalonians about the church, the Gentile church, the blessings of it, the persecution they faced, the riches of the Gospel, how it's delivered unto them in great affliction. This tied back to Acts 16, 17, and 18. And then he came to the fourth chapter where he talked about the resurrection of the dead, the dead in Christ, and those which are alive and remain, and deliverance. Deliverance. We talk about the judgment of God, and that is an important thing, but to us, that's God's judgment. That's not mine. I'm content with that. I don't need that judgment. It's an awesome responsibility to have the authority and the power to judge people, to take their children and take their life. That's law enforcement. That's the court system. I don't want that. And I certainly would not want the responsibility to judge the world. That is God's purpose. And it will be just... And it will be right because God will do it. And I'm content in that. Okay? Let's go forward. Chapter 5, he talked about the times and the seasons. We had no idea when they were. This was God's doing. Things that God had ordained. Things that God had purposed. And then he finished with exhortations of praying for the ministry, loving and forgiving one another and to not walk with disorderly men, not to hate them, but to admonish them in love. And he spoke about not giving even the appearance of evil and to prove all things regarding to the Gospel. Does what's preached go along with what says the Word of God and what Christ established in the world. Now we began in 2 Thessalonians. Paul is going to reaffirm, reiterate, reestablish the fact of the resurrection of the dead, of the children of God, the those that sleep in Christ, those that are dead, whose bodies are in the ground, those which are alive and remain at the coming of Christ. Paul is going to reaffirm that fact to God's children. He is going to speak of the judgment of God. Christ is God manifest in the flesh. Christ is the eternal, living Word of God. Christ will judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. You can take that physically and you can think about those that are alive and remain when He returns. Or you can think of and, and those that are dead and in the grave. Or you can take that spiritually 
And then because they both work and talk about those that Christ has given life. And you can think about the dead being those Jude said is twice dead. They're dead in sin and dead to God. Either way, Christ will judge them. Now with that said, Paul begins with the usual salutations. He, Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus, just as in the first, and the church of Thessalonians, just as in the first, in God our Father, the church of God, established of God, for the purpose of God, that God's people would have a kingdom and a place where they could worship Him in spirit and truth and fellowship with Him and fellowship with each other from all races, from all countries, from all nations of man, not just Israel, but all the elect children of God, which God would bring together in the church, because most are not in the church. A remnant. Paul is writing to the church. It's in God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. And as I said earlier, He is God in the flesh. He is the work of God as far as the One who performs the work. I don't mean He's the work like God created Him. He's the Creator. He's the spoken Word. He's the worker. He's the one who does the things that God purposed. He died for us. He gave us life. He will raise us up. He will meet us in the air. He established His church in this world for us and for Himself. He said, Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ was asked to introduce yesterday. I was glad that's all I had to do because I got to listen to three wonderful messages. And it's, since COVID started, that's been hard for me to do. But it comes from God. Grace unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? First, because it's true. Secondly, because as we are assembled in the kingdom under the sound of the preaching of the Gospel, we learn of salvation. We learn of Christ. We learn of the Godhead. We learn of the eternity of God. The Gospel is a gift to you, child of God. It teaches you of Christ. It teaches you that no matter what transpires in this world, who is raised up, who is taken down, no matter what anybody says or anybody believes, no matter how many Satan deceives, no matter what sin we do, if we're a child of God, we have salvation in Christ and Him alone, period. And nothing can change that. That's what we have in the preaching of the Gospel. It brings life and immortality to light. It is a gift from God. You want to go listen to it somewhere else? Go ahead. I'll leave that alone. I'll be hateful if I don't. Grace unto you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have grace of the grace of God brings us preaching. It brings us salvation eternal and temporal. But we have the peace of God from the knowledge of Christ that God gives to us, first by His Spirit, secondly by the preaching of the Gospel together. Peace, as Paul said, which passeth understanding. The natural man cannot comprehend this. We cannot comprehend this until God reveals it to us. I don't care what who says. I don't care what denomination, what religion. I can go forth into the world preaching the magnificent riches of Christ and nobody will hear it unless God gives them an ear to hear. That dispels paganism and false religion all the way down to the ground. There's no glory to man. You didn't choose it. I didn't preach it to you and you decided it was good. God gives revelation. God gives understanding when it pleases Him. We are bound to thank God always for you brethren as it is meet. We've gone through this in two different epistles, Colossians and 1 Thessalonians, being thankful for the church, not just the children of God, not just heaven and immortal glory, which is what we look and live for. But thank to God for this local congregation. I thank God for Beulah. I thank God for Vestavia. I thank God for Coosa River. I thank God for New Hope and the man God sent down there to preach to them. I thank the Lord especially because this is my home for Ebenezer. We need to be thankful for the kingdom of God. We need to be thankful to God for those saints out of compassion to our brethren and sisters. We need to be thankful for those children that God has loved and saved and given us an understanding and manifested to us that He does love them and He has saved them. First of all, God is glorified in that. But secondly, as a gift to us, we should certainly be thankful of that. He said, we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, it's due, it's to the Lord, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. A man cannot add unto his stature. A man cannot add unto his faith. God gives faith. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Faith and love work together. You cannot have faith and not have love. And you cannot have love without faith. Because you have to have faith in God who you cannot see at this time. For the things which you expect. The things which you hope for. With that said, He's thankful for their faith. Because it grows exceedingly. How does it grow? These are Gentiles in the flesh. These are. This is a city of great commerce, great trial and tribulation upon these people. 
You notice Paul gives two epistles to a couple of churches. This is one, Corinthians is another. There's two, there's not just one. Because of the things they faced, he felt it necessary by the Spirit of God to reaffirm to them the text he's giving them. This one is the resurrection of the dead. We'll cover Corinth some other time, but they were carried away in so much it, it took too long epistles. I'll just say it that way and move on. But this second book Paul is giving to them, this second letter. And he said, your faith has grown. Be thankful for that. Be thankful that God has blessed you. Be thankful that God has given you a measure of faith. Be thankful and continue to love. How did their, how did their faith grow? By the love, the charity, love in action which they had one to another and loving each other and forgiving one another and caring for one another as we went through last week in every scriptural way where God instructs us to love one another. And in that we fulfill the law because love is the fulfilling of the law. And that was manifested when Christ loved us so much that He died upon the cross for us and we are to love each other. The charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. It's not just there, it abounds. We come in this door, we smile, we laugh, we shake hands, sometimes we hug next. We love to see each other. To see, see, see. I can do nothing today. Can't speak straight. Help me. We love to see each other. We love to be gathered together. This is the love of God. Some of us speak during the week from time to time. We may text the modern day speech. But we communicate charity. Communicating love. Charity. Doing for each other. Love in action. Praying. Praying. When one is sick, we pray. Love in action. And it abounded there. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Okay, first of all, this is the same Apostle Paul said, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. There's no glory given to man. So Paul is not saying, well, we established this church because he knows he did not establish this church. The Lord Jesus Christ established this church. Paul's not saying I glory over myself or what I've done with you and what you have become and because of what I've made you. Paul is saying God has worked a work in you. God has given you grace. God has called you into His presence. God has called you into the church by the preaching of the Gospel to the obtaining of the glory of God. God has blessed you to walk in obedience. God has blessed you to manifest the finished work of Jesus Christ in your daily walk, in your congregation, in your family, in your church. The glory is God's. We glory in the Lord for you. And the glory and the finished work of Christ and what He's doing and how He's loving and how He's blessing you. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience. Tribulation worketh patience. They were suffering great tribulation. 
When we think of tribulation, many times the first thing my mind goes to is Nero tying Christians to the stake and riding through his garden at night while they burned and screamed in agony to give him light in his wicked joy. Now there's a judgment of God that came eventually. Just making that point. But their patience, tribulation worketh patience. One of the tribulations in Thessalonica was false teaching. That was why, or one reason why Paul was giving them the second letter. It is evident from the second letter that what Paul is going to reiterate is the resurrection of the dead and the judgment. The judgment. The destruction of the wicked and the eternal life, reward, and joy that the children of God, all by the hand of God, all by grace, unmerited love and favor, had absolutely nothing to do with it that God had given them. Your patience is manifested. It's grown. Your faith and all your persecutions and all of these lies, they were teaching that some, as we read in other places, overthrowing the faith of some of God's children by saying the resurrection was past. Let me state this. If we're living in the day of the resurrection, then strike me dead because I do not want to stay in this sin-cursed earth. I hate myself and I, my, what I am by my nature. And I hate this dark world. The resurrection is yet to come. We've already seen there will be no sin. There will be no sorrow. There will be no death. That is our earnest expectation. That is our hope as we patiently await the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in our persecutions. They were being taught that the day of Christ was going to be today or tomorrow or at the latest next week. That's why you'll see that manifested when we get into chapter 2. But many of the saints there through this false teaching were forsaking the commandment of God to work with your hands, to take care of your wife and your children and your family, to assemble in the church assembly on the Lord's Day, to pray, to to do the things God hath given us to do for the family and the church and to live quiet, peaceful life. They were all assembling together like we've seen in my lifetime, I know. They'll all assemble over here in Jonestown. Or they'll all assemble over here in some state. And they'll sit and wait for two days because some flesh and blood man who cannot approach under the knowledge of God will declare God is going to appear this day and many deceived people will be there waiting. 
We've talked about this two weeks in a row. There will no sign be given. Men will be living their lives in their wickedness. And the Lord will appear as a thief in the night. Boom! In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, God's children to glory, the wicked to the lake of fire. We don't know. It's not for us to know. It is better that we don't know. And I certainly do not even want to begin to know. Because it would scare me to death. So that we ourselves glory in You in the churches of God for Your patience and faith and all Your persecutions and tribulations that You endure. This was a church. They knew they were the elect of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, I believe. They had the Gospel delivered unto them. They were walking in the Gospel. They were trying to serve the Lord on the Lord's day and in their lives during the week. They were being persecuted. They were suffering tribulation. We do see the same thing today. The governments of men hate Christ. They hate the Lord. They seek to destroy you. They seek to destroy the church. You cannot stand on TV and talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll black it out and take it off. But if you want to stand up and talk about Muhammad or some statue, some fool made and overlaid with gold. Oh, that can run all day long. He said it's manifested and we thank God for the faith that God hath given you and how God hath enabled you to walk in that. Which is a manifest well, token of the righteous judgment of God. You catch that? It is a manifest token that you're born of the Spirit, that you're of the elect of God, that God has given you life when you were dead, that it's all in the hand and power of God in Christ, that Christ finished that work, that you have eternal life and nothing can take it away, that God works a work in you in which you obey Him and love Him and walk with Him and seek Him daily and love the children of God. All these things done in faith and all the standing that God blesses you to do and strengthens you while you live in this dark, sinful world. It's a manifested. It's a token of the righteous judgment. Judgment of God. God is showing these are My people. These are those that I have loved from everlasting to everlasting. These are those that I, the Creator of heaven and earth, have chosen. These are those that I have purposed who will stand with Me in heaven and immortal glory with no sin, sorrow, or death and shall see My face manifested to them in the man Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, It's manifested. Don't you ever think it's not manifested to Satan? Don't you ever think it's not manifested to the devil's art? Thou come to torment us before the time? Don't you think they know that? Don't you ever think it's not manifested to the wicked? It's a manifest token of the judgment of God and that God loves you and God saved you and therefore that those left in their own state of nature are going to suffer 
For just as long as the righteous inherit eternity with Christ, the wicked, those who rob, rape, kill, not all. Some of God's children do stuff like that. I'm talking about those who are not able to turn from those things for they know not God as Jude said. They're dead in sin. They're dead to God. They'll never come out of that because God did not choose to bring them out of the state that we had lowered ourselves into in Adam. It's a manifest token. These are mine. See my power. See my hand. When Pharaoh's army perished in the Red Sea, right after the children of Israel had crossed over, it was a manifest token of the power of God in destroying them. And God was glorified. Just as when He destroyed the world with the flood, God was justified in destroying wickedness and God was glorified in that. Brethren, God would have stood in great eternal glory if He had destroyed every one of us in Adam with nothing left. But I want you to understand the purpose of the election of grace. How much more so God is glorified in saving those He chose to save, His elect, all the Father gave Him by the Son of God being made flesh and dying upon the cross of Calvary for your sin. How much more glory is due to grace and mercy and love and the power of God? It's a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God they that will live godly lives in Christ Jesus shall suffer tribulation, persecution, hatred. All these things. I don't have to dwell on that. We've done it before. You know what I'm talking about. Everything in this world is against the child of God because if it's not in the kingdom of God, it is without. And everything God created, Satan and man has corrupted. But in the kingdom is where we belong. Behind the gates of the city of New Jerusalem where the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. Okay? You're going to suffer tribulation. It's a manifest token that you are God's child because if you suffer in tribulation... From the world, it is made manifest that you're a child of God. You're trying to be separate from the world. You're trying to walk in righteousness. Talking about children this morning, and a couple that I saw yesterday, I thank the good Lord. I'm not a child of that age today. My friend has got a 14-year-old daughter. She's like a grown woman. I told him, I said, man, you need a 12-gauge. He said, I've got several. 
She is beautiful. She looks like she's 20 years old. And all of the things in the world, from the filth on the computer to the depravity of man at every age he is, and all the things that can happen to a child, and being a southern male to a female child especially, because that's who we fight for, our women folk, our wives and our children, Where would we stand? Where would we be without the grace of God? But we suffer because we are God's children. And we're in the kingdom of God. We hurt in our heart and mourn and become angry because of the condition and the shape of society, the republic, the world. The things that go on, oh, of course Satan uses that to make us miserable because God sits atop all of it. The earth is His footstool. He sits upon the circumference of the earth. And how quickly we doubt that or hide that knowledge back somewhere in our mind and don't think about it with the things that go on around us. But it's a manifest token of God that you're a child of God in the kingdom of God because you suffer for which ye also suffer. God sees your sufferings. We'll prove that as we go through here. Next verse. Seeing it is a righteous thing. It's right. Somebody says, well, I don't believe there's a hell. I don't believe the Lord would do that. Something He created. Why? Do... It's not fair that God didn't love Esau. Brethren, it does not... Uh, confuse me in, in, in any way that God hated Esau. What I can't figure out is why God loved Jacob. Why does God love us? We're all vile sinners. We're all beneath God. The best we can do dares not stand before God. And that even being after we're born of the Spirit of God, the only way we stand in the presence of God is in the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It's a righteous thing. Judgment is righteous. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God... I'm going I'm to chase this rabbit. When you go to work as law enforcement, you study the history of law enforcement. I will guarantee you this. I will guarantee you this. When the state of Alabama governs to be a terror to evil, when the state of Alabama had a death sentence for robbery, rape, and kidnapping, you didn't have very much robbery, rape, and kidnapping. Seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to those who hate Christ, certainly so. To those who stand in the sin of Adam and are not chosen of God and will never come to God because it's not given unto them to do so, certainly so. But here you see the love of God. You see how much God loves you. Now we know without a doubt, we know and believe, we know that Christ is the Son of God. We know that He died for us. We know we're saved in His blood and nothing else. 
you realize right here also how much God loves you? Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Though God loves you so much that those who are false prophets and who deceive you, God's going to give them recompense either here or there. Child of God pays for His sins in this world. The wicked run through this world and they live and they prosper and their children grow and they prosper. This is the best they'll ever have because when this world is over, they pay their sin debt. But there's a recompense for those that troubled you because God loves you. It is a righteous thing with God to punish those who harms His bride. I've said this before. I'm not proud of myself. Somebody hurt my family, especially my bride. Oh, the wrath, the wrath. I'd track them anywhere I had to and I would be very cruel. People say, well, that's not Christian. I didn't say it was. I didn't say I was proud of it. I said it was a fact. Now you consider the bride of Christ and the love of God, and you consider are not those who transgress against His bride going to suffer? Certainly. He loves you that much. And to you who are troubled, by all these persecutions in the church, rest with us. You know, we are talking yesterday some about rest. Uh, did here last week. Rest. The body goes to the ground. We rest. The body rests from sin. The body rests from death because it's already dead. It will be raised up in your spirits of Christ. Jesus said, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest unto your souls. We have a rest to our soul in worship. We have a rest to our soul in the knowledge that God gives us in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have a rest. So what is He saying to these dear brethren? And you who are troubled by all these persecutions, to you in Thessalonica who are carried astray or who you've heard and you're tempted by these lies that the resurrection is past already or that the resurrection is tomorrow or any other false doctrine, rest with us. Rest in this knowledge. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. He figured out I ain't getting through this chapter today. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the manifestation of the purpose, the will, the being, the Godhead, Christ, all the knowledge we have of God manifested to us by faith, 
by the Spirit of God and many times through the preaching of the Gospel. Many times. I said many, not all the time. Because the Gospel has nothing to do with it. It just manifests it to you. God writes His law on your inward part. You love God and fear God and have love in your heart whether you never hear the Gospel. Let's get that out first. But that's a revelation by faith. What He's talking about here is the last day. Not the last days, plural. We have been in the last days since the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world. It's the last age of earth. It's the church of grace. As men become more and more wicked and bold in the things they do and say and every imagination of their heart is only evil continually. Once again, we're rapidly approaching that. This is the last day when the Son of Man comes in His glory, appears in His glory. There's revelation. Appears in His glory. When we no longer see by faith, when that which is by faith is done away with, when there is no more faith, well, what do you mean we won't have faith? You won't need faith. For we shall see Him as He is. When Christ, who laid the glory of the Godhead aside to be born into this world in the, the, the body of a man in the likeness of sinful flesh yet without sin, it was necessary. Had He not laid the glory of God aside, we'd have all been consumed just like the world is going to be consumed when He appears in His glory. When He appears in His glory, and we shall see Him as He is. When He's revealed unto us the glory of God, the Creator of heaven and earth. When we see Him as He is, there will be no more faith. There will be sight. When He shall be revealed from where? Heaven, where He sits at the right hand of the Majesty on high, with His mighty angels. I believe I touched on this the last two weeks. In June, the Lord cometh with tens of thousands of His saints. That They are those whose body is in the ground. They're coming back. They will be reunited with their bodies. will all be taken away of the Lord back to heaven from whence He came. In flaming fire, for our God is a consuming fire. I have no way, no example in nature to give you that would compare with this. I could talk about lighting a leaf a piece of tinder, or something that we can see. But I, can't have, I cannot give you an example because there are none that would compare and do this justice. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, bat your eye, Christ will appear. In the brightness of the glory of God, huh, 
We can't imagine that. We can't see that. Or we'd be consumed. But then we'll be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, our God, Christ, in His glory, in a moment of a twinkling of an eye, a fire, His glory, shall consume this earth. It's gone. Sin is destroyed. The world is destroyed. Oh, I'm going to cry about that. I'm going to rejoice. Every child of God that suffered and been raped and robbed and killed and mistreated and looked down upon and persecuted and crippled and sick and deceived and carried away in sins and transgressions because of Satan, every one that God loves will be in glory. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and this world and everything in it will be consumed in the righteousness of God. In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. Once again, dead in sin, dead to God. Children of God, by their very nature, are dead in sin. But it pleased God to love a people, to set His love upon a people. It's not ten or twelve. It's not a thousand. It's thousands of thousands. A mass multitude of people which cannot be numbered. Sands of the seashore, stars of the sky. You, know, you can dig in the dirt and you're going to keep finding more sand. You can look to the sky. When I was a child, I'd look to the sky and I'd think there's, there's thousands of stars. Technology has grown. Time has passed. Now we have those telescopes that go so much farther than they used to. They're trying to reach the end and prove that there is no end. They'll never reach that end because God is at the end. And they can't see God. It's not given unto them to know God. Dead in sin, dead to God. And flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God those that are left in their own state of nature. I've done things in my life I wish the Lord had killed me for before I ever did them. I know people that have done crimes and gone to jail and gone to prison and God gave them repentance. What I'm trying to tell you is a child of God is just as capable of doing anything that is sin or abomination to God, just as capable, just as liable as anyone who's left in the nature or state of Adam. And we're in the nature of Adam until God calls us out of it. But these folk have no way of escape, no chance. In flaming tire, fire taking vengeance on them that know not God. The Son of Man quickeneth whom He will. We may see one that we 
feel and for and pray for. I know some that I love very much that I pray for. They would even tell you, I don't know if there's a God or not. You pray for them. Lord, if they are Thine, bless them, I pray. We don't have that knowledge. But I can tell you this. God does. And I can tell you this. We're dead in sin before God gives us life. And we did not obey the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ until God called us to do so. Who shall, well, in flaming fire, take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Born again children of God don't keep the Gospel fully. And you want to talk about a preacher, he suffers more temptation than you do because if, if Satan gets him, he's got a greater hold on the church. I'm saying that to make a point. I'm not saying that to justify sin or have an excuse. I'm telling you that we're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. We've all walked in disobedience to the Gospel. But your sins are covered in blood. Those that are left outside have no cover. They obey not the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The natural man cannot receive the Gospel. The things of the Spirit of God, he's not able to, never will, left in his own state of nature because God did not choose to set His love upon him. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord? Okay. When we come to a point in Scripture and we see something over here that does not agree with what is over here and they're dealing with the same type text or context, the Scripture does not contradict itself. So when Matthew 25 tells me the Lord says to the goats, a totally different creature from a sheep cannot be made a sheep. <laughs> Look in a goat's eyes. They're so empty. <sighs> When the Lord says to them, Depart from Me, ye cursed, and into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, that tells Me that that fire will be everlasting and never end. So when we read here that they are will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That is not telling us, as some have said in the past recent 20 years, that God's going to destroy them, they'll be in the grave, and they'll never suffer again. It's not what it's saying. Scripture does not contradict itself. 
the lake of fire is everlasting. For as long as the children of God inherit eternal righteousness, the children of wickedness shall inherit eternal damnation and the lake of fire. The eternal destruction is speaking of them being driven from the presence of the Lord. Well, what do you mean? Doth God not send His rain on the just and the unjust? Do they not prosper in this world in the ways of man while we most times are being persecuted? Okay? They'll be driven from the purpose of God. They'll be driven, or not from the purpose, from the presence of God in this world. They should inherit eternal damnation. Don't let things confuse you because Scripture does not contradict itself. While they are driven from the glory of His power, while they stand in awe and punishment, realizing, realizing, people say, why does the Lord allow this? Here's your reason. Why does God allow sin to go on and death and persecution? Here's your reason. One of many. It is made clear in their eye as they cry to the mountains and rocks fall on us. Hide us from the wrath of God. Or in Revelation, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. They're both the same. It's made clear to them that they are worthy of the judgment of God. While at the same time, those that love God, let me say it that way, and remember the thief on the cross did not love God until the moment he was going to die. There won't be a child of God left behind. We may live in misery in this world. Believe me, my head gets sore from buttoning the wall. I, myself, am my own worst enemy. There won't be one left behind. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction with the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, we shall behold His glory. <laughs> so bright, the earth is consumed. We shall see Him, and at the same time that we see Him as He is revealed in the body of the Son of Man upon His throne in the sky, People say He's coming back and found a church the world. When He comes back, the world can't stand before Him. It's sin. Rightly divide the word of truth. But when we see Him as He is, the realization in our heart that, oh Lord God, my Father, my Lord, my God, I'm a sinner, saved, worthy of the lake of fire, saved, completely alone by the blood of Thy Son, the Lamb of God, who offered Himself a sacrifice to You, dear Father, to Thee, for my, my personal sin, as well as the sin of mankind. Now I'm going to close here because it's time. 
I want to get to this chapter, but you know, you follow the Spirit, I hope. We'll take up there next week. But I'd like to ask you a question. I'd like to leave you with this to think about. Is this not the reason that we come to church and worship our Savior? 